Welcome to The Descent, episode two of Taking on the Devil, a podcast celebrating 50 years of The Exorcist. I'm Gina Brandolino, a lecturer of English literature at the University of Michigan. My partner in this podcast exploring the dark corners of The Exorcist is Gabrielle Thomas, assistant professor in early Christianity and Anglican studies at Candler School of Theology at Emory University, and an ordained priest in the Church of England. This episode focuses on Reagan's gradual descent into demonic possession and the earnest, desperate efforts the characters surrounding her make to help her. Reagan's mother, Chris, and her household staff, a wide range of medical doctors, the first priest called in to help, Father Karras, the priest detective, William Kinderman, and a character interestingly included in the novel version of The Exorcist, but not the film the seeress, Mary Jo Perrin. All these characters are studies in different approaches to fighting the devil. What do they tell us about their approaches and our own? What is possession and what opens a person up to the possibility of it? Keep listening to learn. episode we're going to think a lot about what's happening to Reagan as she becomes increasingly possessed and it seems like a good place to start to think about what exactly is possession um, Gabby and and what what is its purpose what was good about the book is in a certain sense they give you at least one person's perspective on it Um, and Merrin um, after already battling for some time and, and having to sort of do a lot of damage to, to the demons that he's been countering. Um, he says, there it lies, I think, Damien, possession. Um, not in wars, as some tend to believe, not so much. And very rarely in extraordinary interventions such as here, this girl, this poor child. No, I tend to see possession most often in the little things, Damien. In the senseless petty spites and misunderstandings, the cruel and cutting word that leaps unbidden to the tongue between friends, between lovers, between husbands and wives. Enough of these, and we have no need of Satan to manage our wars. These we manage for ourselves, for ourselves. And I, I find it fascinating that he said that, Gina, because he's just seen the possession, like he's just experienced something. And Even though, you know, he sort of says it's a very extraordinary intervention and it doesn't happen very often. Um, It feels like if anyone was able to distinctly say at least what it looks like, if not what it is, it would have been Merrin. Because I'm not so sure that possession would be in the little things. One sort of thread going throughout this book is that this is both extraordinary. um, It doesn't happen to everybody all of the time. Um, it's not like a common cold. This is this is something definitely that only happens on occasion, and it's rare. Um, but it is distinctive in that there's things going on 
with Reagan that seem to be out of her control, both in terms of what she's saying and, and what she's doing. I was thinking in terms of um, how it's described, she wet the bed. Well, you know, that, that's just a, a really small thing. But again, it's her own reaction to something's happening to me and I don't understand it. In terms of what is possession, I think what's really interesting, I started looking through lots of books to find a description of this um, in terms of books for people who are actually going to go and do an exorcism. Like, what is it? What are you doing? Um, And most of the technical books talk about um, what the signs of it are. But actually, in terms of whether we're talking about is it a soul is it a mind? Is it a brain? What's being possessed here? How is the mind and the soul relating to the body? So that clearly every, everything that's going on with Reagan is happening to all of her. Um, she's one whole human person and this is affecting her body. But I, I assume it's not just happening within her body. Um, it's happening sort of in a, a much bigger way than that, if that makes sense. Certainly as the book describes it, you never get this idea that there's something just like another person inside her that you could just literally pick up. It's so interwoven with her that it's very difficult to then begin to distinguish between when you're talking to Reagan and when you're talking to this demon, this devil, this thing. So I think what was really clever about the book was that, again, it it blurred the idea of what possession is, um, as well as obviously how it happens. But what we do see are a lot of the standard signs of it. Certainly when you go outside and you start looking at all the textbooks on how do I know if this is something I need to exercise or not, she sort of shows that she's possessed by, it was things like the the vomiting. Uh, That's always listed, um, speaking in um, a voice that isn't your own, um, often being able to speak in a foreign language. She sort of comes out with all these different phrases, doesn't she? Um, in languages not known to the person speaking to speaking them. Um, and also supernatural strength. And, and so what was interesting was somebody had done their homework in terms of going through and actually checking off. Um, these are the kinds of features that people exhibit when they're possessed. Um, so that you would know... I guess, when to actually seek an exorcist as opposed to not seeking one at all. But I think in terms of what it is, I don't think it really tells you. And again, I think that's probably intentional, if that makes sense, um, because it's something that doesn't fully make sense. It Possession doesn't fully make sense to us, I think, um, especially when we're talking about something like a devil that we can't see. Um, again, you, it's this idea all the way through of something being named, but not being not being seen. No one sees this thing. They see Reagan. Um, and so to a certain extent, I guess if I was going to describe possession to someone, I'd sort of say it was like a blending, a mixture of where someone becomes mixed up. Um, and when I say someone, I mean someone sort of body, mind, soul, someone, the whole human person becomes mixed up with in this instance, the devil, a demon, or if we're going back to the beginning um, where he creates um, from Luke's gospel, legion, many, 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 many demons. Um, And I guess the the extent to which you sort of exhibit any kind of um, manifestation of being possessed would also depend on which demons 
are possessing you, if we're going to follow the line of thinking of Letty. I feel like that's one of the most interesting things about this story to me and the film, this might be one of the things that the film is better at than the book because you look at the film and one of the things that this film does that is groundbreaking, that that creates something new in the horror genre is it gives us what I think is the first like genuine creepy kid of like our era. Like there were, there were creepy children in things, movies before The Exorcist, but Reagan is the first one who like, you know, sets up a, a new bar, right? Like, gives us uh, yeah. the example of a kid doing vulgar things, doing really disgusting things, creeping us out in new and sort of um, expectation-breaking ways. It's not her. It's the devil. Mm. And it's very difficult to remember that. There's a scene in the movie, and this, this is clearer in the book, um, where the devil is um, forcing Reagan to do something and she's arguing with him. And, and in the book, it's very clear. Reagan's voice s- says, no, please, stop. And the devil's voice says, no, no, you're going to do this. And they go back and forth. In the movie, you see that happening. You hear it happening through the walls, and then you sort of walk in with Chris to see it happening. Uh, it's the infamous crucifix scene. And uh, it's just one, it's one girl, and it's easy to make her the antagonist, in a way that it's not so easy to do in this book, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I feel like that, that gets us to the point of thinking about why it has to be Reagan. Uh, why Reagan is the one to become possessed. I mean, obviously she plays with the Ouija board, never do that, right? Yeah. Are there other things that you think make it... Make make her the obvious choice for the devil in the story. I think so. If you um, think about what we might know about the devil's character elsewhere, because I think one of the things certainly that we would see in um, a lot of the early Christian texts on the devil is um, how much he likes to shock and how much he wants attention. And there's there's some beautiful sort of theories around what you look at right from the first century really in in sort of pagan philosophy Um, and you could call it the theory of the eye and in a sense you you become what you gaze at and so for um, early Christians you're gazing at God you're worshipping God you're becoming like God Um, it's all good you're going to end up good you'll be in heaven everything's great but that same that same theory is going to apply if you flip it, right? So more than anything, what the devil's going to want you to do is look at him. Now, if he hasn't got his own body or can't manifest himself as himself, which is certainly the case in this, um, he goes obviously from one character to another character, but we don't ever see him without somebody else's body. What's more shocking and going to get more attention than a little girl? No one's going to care if it's the poor housekeeper. Not in the same way, because it hasn't got that edge of shock. And as much as it shocks us, I think, if I mean, certainly from what you've said about watching the movie, but even reading the book, there's nothing more shocking to me than what's an apparently reasonably innocent little girl, in that we assume she's reasonably innocent. Like you say, we hear about her playing with the Ouija board, but 
nobody had actually told her not to, so it wasn't a form of disobedience. There was, we're never told of any agreement that she makes with the devil that he's welcome to come on in and have a jolly old time. You know, we, we never get to hear about that. Um, so I think why it works, not just for the writer, for the author, obviously, um, but actually why it's consistent with anything we might think about evil or think about the devil is the, the mere fact that it, it's going to create such a sensation um, and then get, and he does. I mean, he has more than one priest, for example, running in. He has two priests. He has a team of psychiatrists. He has a mother. He has the mother's sort of personal assistant. He has the housekeepers in that there's so much attention garnered through the fact that he chooses a little girl. From that end, I think it's, it's actually a very logical choice simply because of how much uh, show he can bustle up. It's a spectacle, isn't it? Um, it is a spectacle. There, there's something Stephen King said once about behind every monster um, in a horror story, there is a conservative Republican in a three-piece suit. And I just want to notice that Reagan does not have a, a given name that is Christian, right? There's no St. Reagan that I know of. Her parents are at least split up, if not divorced. Her mom leaves her alone for, you know, a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I feel like yep. all of these are, this is sort of the the movie making a judgment or the book making a judgment. I, I don't think it's Blatty making a judgment, but it might be our society, our culture making a judgment that these are danger. These are points of danger, right? Like these are points when... It, when you you could do something more to protect your child and you're not doing it. Do you think that's an over-the-top reading? And, you know, it's not mine if it is, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, I... Gosh, I actually don't. In the sense that, as I was sort of reading through, my question was, it's interesting he hasn't told us whether she was baptised or not. At least I couldn't remember if he had. And I was flicking back through and I was I just like... He, yeah, I don't, think, I don't so. think he tells us, mm-hmm. you know, is this child been sort of done properly with the sign of the cross and holy water as a baby um somebody we, asks do they go to church and i can't remember who but no i, I can't okay but it, yeah but i i did think gosh i don't i don't know if she's baptized if she's baptized yeah. and what difference that would make even to the approach of the priests i thought it was interesting that they didn't ask that question mm-hmm. partly possibly because well, one of them for sure wasn't sure what he believed anyway, and so <laughs> he's yeah. not he's not necessarily thinking in that way at that right. stage, I guess. And by the time he's in, it's just far too late. I mean, certainly as someone who is in in the church, I'm ex- I'm extremely comf- uncomfortable with the idea that Christians would make that assumption that somehow because it it begins to turn towards, I guess, more of a superstition. Um, in terms of what what actually protects us and what just might protect us, and I'm I'm very I'm just sort of sitting here thinking, gosh, I'm a, I'm ordained. People call me reverend. The last thing I would want is to lump judgment on either Chris or Reagan for the fact that this is happening to Reagan. It does sort of make it her. It's your fault, right? If you start piling. The, the, yeah. the book never no, explicitly does it, you know. The movie never explicitly does it. But there, there, there's that quote from Stephen King that always comes into my mind. When my students ask me, when I, when I teach this movie to my students, they, they say, well, why, why Reagan? Why Reagan? And I mean, 
the the one answer is the theological answer, and the mm-hmm. other answer is the social answer. Yeah. Why did you leave your kid alone? Why did you leave your kid unprotected? You know, why isn't your kid baptized with a Christian name, right? And the movie doesn't give us either answer, but insofar as it answers at all, it's with the theological. Yeah, I mean, that's a really... I mean, it's probably because I'm, I'm British, and so I'm not thinking so much of Republicans and Democrats <laughs> Or any American politicians. But I think in so far as, or say then, how that works itself out um, in terms of then the reputation of the church, you know, that that's just not good because of the fact that there would be so many, so many, so many examples, I'm sure, whereby bad stuff is happening to Christian kids too. Yeah, right. The, the the kids that supposedly do have the protection. Yeah. Right? They're not the ones made into horror stories, though, right? This and is I think really that's, interesting. Yeah, that, yeah, I feel like that's that's the interesting thing. But it, like I said, it's it is it is there in a in a latent way, and and Reagan Reagan has to pay the price for this. So Reagan becomes possessed, and like the first line of defense. I feel like this is the case with all sort of true emergencies or all sort of true traumas is that the first line of defense is always woefully unprepared and sort of ham-handed in their approach. For her, the first line of defense is, is the people in the house with her, right? And it's just like, it seems like such a terrible situation and an unsolvable problem for for, for Reagan's mom, yeah. Chris, for Sharon, uh, for the housekeepers, um, they they all sort of stumble into this situation and are unsure how to handle it. And it is it is an unhandleable problem, right? Yeah. Like, do you, like, I feel like this is where theology sort of butts up into the real world, right? Yeah. I mean, at one point, Reagan is slithering like a snake on the floor after Sharon speaking of the Garden of Eden. Right? Yeah. So, like, this isn't just a bad kid, right? Yeah, like, this is absolutely. right. There's something yeah. deeper going on, and how do we handle that? I mean, I have to say, as as the reader, I can't, I can't sit there. I couldn't sit there judging them <laughs> because I just thought, oh, what on earth do you do? Because there's just no, there is no quick solution because it's not an everyday situation, and so of course they're not equipped. Of course they're not equipped to handle it. But I think what I found so fascinating was that even the people that possibly might be equipped to handle it still can't handle it. It's just that, well, you know, okay, so we can't do anything with this. So we'll go to the experts. We'll go to the medical people because they'll know what to do. Well, there are many of us who have experienced reasonably bad healthcare and have not had the doctors solve their problems as we would like them to. So I, I didn't read that and was I wasn't particularly shocked, to be honest, because I've had experiences where I also haven't recovered from things as quickly as I might due to um, misdiagnoses or whatever. So I guess I didn't find that shocking. But it, it's that real sense of the, the despair that certainly when you're, you're reading it, because everything takes so long, everything is tried and there's just no solution to the point where, you know, you've, you've got this doctor saying, have you ever heard of an ex do you know what an exorcism is and and that bit really did shock me because I just thought wow you really you know doctors aren't readily known for their humility in admitting when they don't know stuff you really don't know what to do do you because you're handing her over to these people over here 
Do, do you feel like the book presents medicine as an alternative faith or as an, as an alternative sort of way of believing? This, this is something that is made explicit in the movie where we get Reagan not strapped to a bed, but strapped to a gurney, surrounded not by priests, but by doctors, doctors who perform rituals of a medical nature rather than a religious nature on her. Like the, the scenes are very parallel, the exorcism scenes and the um, medical scenes. They're definitely both present in the book, but the movie does something explicit in making that apparent. And I wonder if you saw this and if you could talk a little bit about the role that medicine plays in this novel and the role that medicine plays in, in, in relationship to faith culturally. I thought that's such a, A, it's such a good question because you've almost, almost got two religions going on where you get to the end of the one religion and it doesn't work, so we'll try the other religion. What I'd have loved to have seen is actually these folks working together because actually, I think it's possible, A, that there's more than one problem going on at one time, right? So it's very possible that being possessed by the devil is going to have a psychological effect on Reagan. So that therefore she needs both kinds of treatment, right? As opposed to one or the other. So the approach is so binary. It's got to either be the devil or it's got to be something that we can fix because there's something wrong with her brain. If it is the devil, there's probably also going to be something wrong with your brain because that's going to have an effect on you, right? It, it, it certainly, it seems like it would. So you're going to need a multidisciplinary approach to dealing with anything like this. And it, it's fascinating that we are so, in terms of how this relates to faith and culture, we are so binary in our thinking. So we'll go and we'll get the holy water, but we won't go to the doctor you hear of lots of cases of people refusing medical help um, and trusting by faith that God will heal them and then not being healed and then dying because they're absolutely determined not to receive medical support. Both, I think both are of slightly broken views of certainly for me, sort of speaking as a Christian now, um, how God works in the world um, as though medicine isn't a gift from God that we wouldn't receive with open arms and, and engage with where it's helpful. And as though healing, whether that's spiritual or physical, can only come through one particular form. Healing might come through the therapist's office, um, and that might have been something that someone wanted to consider <laughs> because, boy, wouldn't you need to talk through some stuff after going through that. Um, but also then, the same goes for the priests. I think it's really sad, in a sense, that you've got one thing happening in one room and one thing happening, these things always happen in separate locations, as opposed to, I guess, a team of people really gathered around her, all bringing their skills to help her, um, rather than this absolute binary split um, between one and the other, as though you can only have one thing going on that's real, yeah. um, as opposed to all of these things could actually really help, but actually she could have more than one problem. Um, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, clearly, as far as I read the book anyway, there's there's definitely some form of possession going on. So yeah. I'm going to suggest <laughs> that she definitely needed some kind of priest involved, um, but then not to the exclusion of medical help. So I guess what surprised me while I was reading 
was that it was it was so uh, so binary in the choosing of which bit we're going to do next. Mm-hmm. And and then another thing that could have really helped, and I absolutely loved this woman, but I think you said she didn't come into the film, was Mary oh, Jo. Yeah. Yes. Um, like she was awesome. Yes. So the serious in the book, he has basically, as far as I could see, the answers. So she suggests to Chris that she might want to consider getting rid of the Ouija board because that actually might not be a good thing. Um, we don't know much about Captain Howdy, but we think he's probably not really a very nice man. Like she's sort of there just gently, gently, and, and it really is a very gentle approach to sort of suggesting what might be going on. But she seems to approach her, I guess, solution in terms of the ends that she's working through. She just asks lots of questions. And what I loved most about her was her curiosity. Yes. And I thought, well, if you're going to actually solve this kind of problem for Reagan, what you really need to do is be curious. And you know who was not curious? The doctors are not curious. Karis himself was not curious. I would even go out on a limb and say that Marin was not curious, but he kind of had previously, he, it seems like he'd had a past of being curious and he had gotten all the answers. Yeah. Um, but you're, I feel like you're right on with the sort of grist mill or conveyor belt nature in which Reagan is treated, right? Like there is no simultaneous effort for her. The, the house does what it, it can for her. They deliver her to a doctor and they're like, we're out of ideas. The doctors don't want to work with a priest. They're, they say, we're out of ideas. Why don't you try um, an exorcism? Not because this is above like our pay grade, but because this is a psychological syndrome in which the suggestion of an exorcism will help, right? And I also think you're right about Mary Jo Perrin, who... She she definitely she, she definitely seems to know what's going on, suggests getting rid of the Ouija board and delivers that book. Yeah. Oh, I loved that book. Right, the book yeah. that seems to act as the key to Chris believing that it's an exorcism, and perhaps like then Chris start and and uh, Kara start wondering, did Reagan learn how to fake an exorcism from from the book? Um, and the the devil plants the book in Reagan's room. Um, in, a, in a way, I feel like the devil uses the book to greater advantage than um, the people, uh, the characters in the story do. But um, Mary Jo Perrin seems like somebody who could really help here. And it would have been easy, as it would have been, she was left out of the, the film, like you say, it would have been easy to leave her out of this book. But Blatty puts her on the margins, and we see her sort of peek in, mm-hmm. and in her very unobtrusive way ask questions Mm. you know um, make suggestions but then sort of just back out of the picture yeah and it the 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 novel is different because of that what role do you do you see her playing or could you have seen her play well if anyone had listened to her although to be fair I think there is a moment where Chris phones her and she's not in right which was just the most painful reading, I think, almost for me that I've ever experienced because you want her to be in because you have this sense of actually this woman probably is the only person actually that might be able to help you. So I think I see her playing the role of, I mean, I don't don't know what her experience of exorcism is and she certainly wouldn't be able to do it in the authority of the church, but she'd certainly be able to been able to have diagnosed the problem a lot, 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 lot sooner than anyone else did. I mean, for me, I mean, we were talking in the last episode, we are, what can the book teach us about evil? In terms of what can it teach us about our response to things we don't understand? 
ask questions. <laughs> um, because she just kept on asking questions until she clearly had a sense of what was going on because of the fact that she she delivers this book. But I do wish that she, I guess, been slightly more aggressive in suggesting what she was thinking because I, I, I think she could have got everyone there a lot, lot sooner. I mean, obviously, that was not his um, plan because we were supposed to have several <laughs> torturous pages of, right. of this, this continuing of dissent. But it felt like there was just yet another missed opportunity along the way. Yeah. And I, I sort of saw her really as her biggest role was, oh, there's a missed opportunity here. Oh, it's someone who... And again, it's not really... It's not so easy to blame. You can't really point the finger at anyone. It's not It's not such a, this is her fault or this is Chris's fault. or. But it's just, yet again, a series of things that mm, aren't quite fair. Mm-hmm. You're just like, oh, I'm really sad she wasn't in or I'm really sad that this didn't quite happen in this way. That, that just add to the general level of gloom and chaos, yeah. really. Despair. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Narratively, it works well to sort of keep Reagan spiraling, right? Because I feel like this was the point, like, if anybody, if Chris had been able to get a hold of her, you know, she was, <laughs> Mary Jo Perrin was sort of like the, the possession detector. You know, she was like, yeah. hey, this is it. You're definitely on the right, you're definitely on the right path here. Yeah. But I think she has a way of knowing that, the authorities in this book do not respect. Blatty does respect it, right? Like, Blatty, yeah. Blatty puts it in there and almost seems to put her in there to say, yeah. we are not paying attention to people who have ways of knowing that are not sort of like, I don't know, culturally approved, right? Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And I feel like the other character that is sort of like this, although he's less helpful and it's just clear to me that he figured it out, is, is the lieutenant. Kinderman. Oh, I loved that man. <laughs> what a, I mean, everything about his approach is just so soft, right? Yeah. Um, in a way, he's like Mary Jo in his sort yeah. of soft, just sort of bumbling. He's more bumbling than Mary Jo, but he's got this curiosity, right? And he, there's a moment uh, when he's, at, like, as a detective, has sort of looked at all the evidence and come to the logical conclusion that Reagan probably threw Burke Dennings out the window, um, but doesn't really know what to do with that. Um, but he's he's worked it all out, right? Yeah. Using, um, Mary Jo Perrin seems to have sort of like something that we might call a sixth sense, right? But he has, he has used logical deduction. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. The, the book would be different without him as well. Definitely. I thought it was, it made a very clear statement, actually, that in in those moments, it was neither the church nor the medical experts that were actually doing the diagnosis work. I thought that spoke volumes, actually, because in a sense, the, those who are the believers, in, in many ways, are not the people you expect to be the believers. You don't expect it to be the lieutenant. And... and not necessarily as serious, actually, because they're not necessarily, you know, all of those who are dealing with the dead, and that's a different thing from a demon, right? So, you know, a, like a, a ghost... A theorist is not really... Uh... <laughs> you know, they're, they're not the same thing. Yeah. And so you've just got this beautiful layer of exactly what you said, knowing, but from those that, in a sense, wouldn't be respected for knowing what they know. So, I mean, there's absolutely no way 
I think it was it was very evident there was no way in the early stages that anyone was going to take their lieutenant seriously from the church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's much, much later that those conversations begin to grow depth and sort of um, interpersonal value. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that the, the seeress, Mary Jo Perrin, knows what's going on, but doesn't really feel authorized to say. Kinderman seems to know what's going on, but doesn't really know what do about, like doesn't really seem authorized to act right like he takes he, he takes the knowledge that he has to Karis and Karis is like leave this with me like I'll, I'll take care of this yeah you're not wrong right but the two people who seem to come to the right conclusion early on can't act yeah I thought the question of authority yeah. in this book that went all the way through was fascinating mm-hmm. um, who's in charge who gets to be in charge of saying both what this thing is and how to get rid of it. I thought it was reasonably fair in terms of um, how he portrayed both all the different levels of authority. Um, I thought they rang true to a lot of people's experience in life, in real life, and I, and I think that's precisely why um, it held me as a reader, um, because I wasn't sitting there thinking well, that's, that's not my experience of the church or that's not my experience of the medical profession. Um, he actually was playing on, I think, something that so many people could resonate with. And albeit this is 50 years ago, that people would resonate with now, for sure. Yeah. That's totally held over time. Yeah, yes, absolutely. So that gets us through uh, Reagan's sort of decline into possession. It gets us through the early characters sort of grappling with knowing what they know and figuring out a path forward. In our next episode, we will talk about the battle between the priests and the devil himself. Thanks to Pam Lack and Patrick Flanagan of the Digital Humanities Center at San Diego State University for technical help. And Phil Cameron of the Language Resource Center at the University of Michigan for arranging studio time. Thanks to Darren Curtis Music for It's in the Fog, the copyright-free music used in this episode. 